morning. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're working our way through the Gospel of John, and now here in John chapter 10, we're going to consider the Good Shepherd. One of the uh, defining characteristics or distinguishing characteristics of the Gospel of John is the Lord's I am statements. There are seven of these in the Gospel of John. We've heard two of them already. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now here in John chapter 10, we're going to get two more of these I am statements. So so we're going to get two of these this morning. Let's start with the first 10 verses just to get us going. John 10 verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd to the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So there's our third I am saying, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's stop there for this morning or for now. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house and with your people. Lord, we pray for those who can't be here today uh, for all, all the different reasons, different kinds of sicknesses and conditions. And Lord, we pray in each and every situation. Lord, we, we pray for healing. That's our, always our desire and our default. But Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for health. We pray for wellness. And we pray that uh, you bring those folks back in a very soon and a very timely way. But Lord, thank you for this time when we can be here today. And now we pray that you would speak to us from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's take a look. If you have your listening guide there on the back panel of the bulletin, let's take a look at the good shepherd. And we start with the door of the sheep. Jesus gives this metaphor, an analogy, uh, this figure of speech talking about the door of the sheep. The image here is that of an ancient sheep pen or a corral. Typically, it would be rectangular or circular, uh, a three-foot wall of rock with some uh, brush or briar brambles up on top of it. And that corral would have one entrance. There'd be one doorway, if you will. And the shepherd would stand in the doorway. And he would keep the sheep in and everyone and everything else out. Uh, So the shepherd is there in the doorway or perhaps a doorkeeper. Even at nighttime, the shepherd would would, uh, lie across the threshold of the doorway. He is the door to that sheep pen. That's, That's the image. That's the idea here. He's the door to that sheep pen. Now, on your outline... Jesus is not talking about sheep, though. He's talking about his people. And this image, this analogy or metaphor, whatever we want to call it, a parable, it speaks of a couple of things. One, there is access. To say he is the door of the sheep, it speaks of access. And that access, access to the sheep or access, uh, access to, the, to the flock, speaks of protection. The only way, for, only way for someone or something to get to the sheep is to come through the shepherd. You have to get through the shepherd first. Unless you come 
over the wall. And that's where Jesus starts. Hey, anybody comes over the wall, that's a thief and a robber. That's somebody with a malicious intent. But it speaks of protection. But then it also speaks of, uh, of salvation, access to the Father, access to the kingdom of heaven, to the flock of God. When he gives this initial metaphor, people don't understand, what is he talking about? So then he begins to explain it in verse 9. And then in verse 9, we hear, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and he'll go in and out and find pasture. So he's talking about salvation. He's not talking about literal sheep and shepherds. He's talking about the things of heaven. This is a parable in the sense he's using earthly experience to illustrate heavenly truth and heavenly reality. Jesus is the door to the flock of God, to the kingdom of God. He's the doorway to heaven. He's the door of eternal life. Anyone who comes through him will be saved. He's the only way you can be saved. And we're going to hear that again later on in John 14, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the only way to be saved, the only way into the, to the flock of God is to come through Jesus Christ. So it speaks of access. But this image also speaks of provision. He is the good shepherd. He, he provides. In verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's provision. That's, that's provision. He'll go in and out. In and out. That's, we hear that several times in the Old Testament. Your goings in and your comings out and so forth. Uh, you'll go in and you'll go out. The shepherd would bring his sheep into the pen for protection, but the sheep don't live in the pen. He takes them out by day and leads them to the green pastures beside the still waters. That's where they go eat. And so this is, this is the provision part. And then in verse 10, he says, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So he brings life. He provides and he gives life itself. Now he goes on into the, to the next part of this. It's the same text. I just broke it off there for for sake of the sermon, but let's keep going. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So there's our fourth I am statement. The third one was I am the door. Now I am the good shepherd. The fourth I am statement in John. And he's going to say it twice as well. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd." For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So these two statements, I'm the door of the sheep, and I'm the good shepherd, they really overlap. It's just two ways of kind of saying the same thing. And all this, all this text, it all goes together. It's one passage. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Now, the word translated good in our English Bibles, good shepherd, it means it speaks of value or truth. It's intrinsic worth. It speaks of beauty, uh, of an ideal or a model. He is the ideal shepherd. He is the model shepherd. Now, in what ways is Jesus Christ the ideal shepherd? 
Well, let's take a look. We'll, we'll see several ways and several reasons he's the good shepherd in this text. So note, notice the shepherd and his sheep. Then we'll come back and we'll look at the sheep and the shepherd. But let's take a look at the shepherd and his sheep. Why is he the good shepherd? Well, one, he knows his sheep. The shepherd knows his sheep. We hear that in verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them out. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows his sheep by name. In that sheep pen, typically it's not one shepherd with one flock in his pen. Usually these, these will be a communal uh, sheep pen. And there, there may be several shepherds with several flocks, maybe several different families or a neighborhood pen or whatever. But there's, there's more than one shepherd's flock in the pen. Several shepherds' flocks are in the pen. And so he would come in. He, he knows his sheep. He knows which ones are his. And he can call them by name. Now, I'm, I'm neither a farmer nor the son of a farmer, okay? I was raised in the city. <laughs> yeah, but I married a farm girl. And from what I know from farmers is that there's a general rule. Don't name something you plan to eat. Just, just Because when you name it, it becomes a pet, Right? So don't name something you plan to eat. You know, what's for dinner? Oh, Bessie. We're going to have Bessie for supper. You know, um, don't name something you're going to eat. Shepherds here in this, in this ancient context, shepherds, raising sheep was not so much a meat industry as it was a textile industry. Now, some sheep would have been slaughtered and eaten. Some sheep would have been offered as a sacrifice to God in worship. But for the most part, they were raised for their wool. And so a shepherd would raise his sheep as lambs. I mean, he would have them as a baby, raise them up as lambs, name them. He would have these sheep, I mean, for years and years. Spent a lot of time with the sheep. And he would get to know their characteristics, their quirks, their idiosyncrasies. He would know his sheep. And he would call them by name. That's the idea. We hear it again in verse 14. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now remember, Jesus isn't talking about sheep and shepherds. He's talking about people. He's talking about his followers, his disciples. I know my own. The good shepherd knows his sheep, you and me. Isn't that good to know? You're not just a brick in the wall. <laughs> You're not just a cog in the machine. The Lord knows you. If you know him, he knows you. If you're a child of God, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows who you are and what you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going to go through. He knows your hurts. He knows your baggage. He knows your fears. He knows your dreams. He knows everything about you. He knows you by name. In fact, elsewhere, he says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He's the good shepherd. He's the model shepherd. He knows his sheep. Not only does he know a sheep, he leads his sheep. He leads his sheep. Look in verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Again, here's the image of that sheep pen. More than one flock in the sheep pen. He goes in there, he knows which sheep are his, and he can call them by name, and then he has... He has his whistle or his sing-song voice or whatever. He, they know his voice, and he, he has a way of getting his sheep out of the pen without getting everybody else's sheep out of the pen. And once he's got his sheep out of the pen, he goes in front of the sheep, and he leads the sheep. 
and they follow the shepherd. Now, he might, one she- he might have another shepherd back here at the back bringing up the train, you know, following the rear, but he leads and the sheep follow him. Now, in the West, shep- uh, shepherds tend to drive their sheep. They may even use dogs to, to herd and drive the sheep, much like cattle ranchers do. They drive their cattle. Um, but in the East, even today, shepherds lead their sheep. And this is how Jesus treats us. He leads his sheep. I've, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and Jesus has never made me do one thing. But wherever he leads, I'll follow. He leads his sheep. He doesn't drive his sheep. He leads his sheep. And wherever he leads, we want to follow him. He knows his sheep. He leads his sheep. Thirdly, he protects his sheep. And that's what we hear a lot in verses 8 through 15. He protects his sheep. In verse 5, he says, a stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Then in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. In verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And then verse 12 and 13, he talks about the hireling, uh, not a shepherd, but just a hired hand. And the hired hand, he's not going to protect the sheep. If a wolf shows up, I'm out of here. You know, I make minimum wage. These aren't my sheep. I'm not dying for somebody else's sheep. I'm gone. You don't pay me enough for this. That's the hireling. It's a dangerous world for sheep. You got predators, you got thieves, you got robbers, you got hired hands that don't care and will leave you to your own defenses. I mean, this is, it's a dangerous world for sheep, but the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He protects his sheep. And again, that's, that's this theme. That's what we've already seen uh, in this metaphor. So he protects his sheep. And then fourthly, he provides for his sheep. He provides. Again, in verse 9, he says, you will go in and out and find pasture. He leads us beside the still waters, the green pastures. He provides. He feeds us. We hear that a lot in the Sermon on the Mount as well. There's a, there's a New Testament scholar named Edward Clink. He, he says, when you read this passage, think Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he went back and he kind of paraphrase he's, he, he tweaked the 23rd psalm in light of Jesus as the good shepherd and here's here's what that sounds like he put it this way Christ is my shepherd I shall not want Christ makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters for Christ refreshes my soul Christ guides me along the right paths for his name's sake even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for Christ is with me Christ rod and staff they comfort me Christ has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Christ has anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, life in his name, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. We'll see that in just a moment. That's that's the 23rd Psalm in light of Jesus as our good shepherd. And again, he says in verse 10, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Have life, not just not death, but to have life, a quality of life, a a redefinition of life, a whole new life in Jesus Christ. I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He is the ideal shepherd. He provides for his sheep. Well, he knows his sheep. He leads his sheep. He protects his sheep. He provides for his sheep. Here's the next thing. He owns his sheep. He owns his sheep. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My own, they're my sheep. My own sheep. 
if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to him. You are his sheep. You belong to him. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we have the language of purchase, redemption, or slavery. Uh, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. You are not your own. You've been bought and paid for. Elsewhere, it speaks of redemption. We are redeemed. That is to be purchased, especially to be purchased out of slavery. Someone has bought your freedom out of slavery. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, now, we, you weren't redeemed with money or gold. You are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Redeemed, purchased. You are bought and paid for. I know my own, and my own know me. He owns his sheep because he paid for them with his life. And then he unites his sheep. The good shepherd unites his sheep. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Now, the Mormons say that's American Indians. <laughs> so that's, that's the American West, American Indians, and, here, and now here you have the, storm and, uh, the story of the, of the Mormon church. Boy, how do you talk about putting something in there that doesn't belong there? No, <laughs> that's not the American Indians. He's speaking of the Gentiles, the Gentile world. I have, I have sheep which are not of this fold. He's, he's talking to Jews about Gentiles. And then there's a play on words here. They'll hear my voice and they'll become one flock with one shepherd. There's a play on words that doesn't translate. The word flock and the word shepherd are essentially the same word. They're, they're almost identical. It's the same six letters with the last two letters flipped. So it's poimne and poimain. I mean, essentially the same word. One flock, one shepherd. The wordplay doesn't translate, but the truth translates. One flock, one shepherd. Now, in that world, in that context, there are two kinds of people. There are Jews and Gentiles. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the way Jews thought, the way Gentiles thought. There are Jews and Gentiles. I mean, Jews are not Gentiles. Gentiles aren't Jews. Jews don't have anything to do with Gentiles. Gentiles don't have anything to do with Jews. You have two kinds. It's us and them. They're Jews and Gentiles. That's it. Now, we tend not to think like that in our context. We don't divide ourselves up with Jew and Gentile. We have other categories that we might use, but not Jew and Gentile. But here, Jesus, is, he's anticipating this Gentile mission. We've gotten glimpses of this already in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus come in and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the what? The Jews? No, the world. Not just the Jews. He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, John three sixteen, For God so loved the Jews that he gave his only begotten Son. No, God so loved the world. The world that whosoever believeth on him. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan villagers. Now remember, there are two kinds of people. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. Oh, and Samaritans. They're a tertium quid, a third kind. They're neither. <laughs> they're something they're altogether different. The Samaritans in John chapter 4 said of Jesus, we've come to know and believe this one. He's the Savior of the world. Not just the Jews, not just Gentiles, Samaritans too. He's the Savior of the world. Uh, over in uh, Romans, Paul will write in Romans 1, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, that is to say the Gentile. To the Jew and the Gentile. Again, two kinds of people, well, that's everybody. Over in Ephesians, if you want to go with me to Ephesians 2, let me show you a passage where Paul talks about this at length, where God takes these two categories of people, Jew and Gentile, oil and water. I mean, they don't mix. The Jews had a covenant relationship with a God of Israel. Gentiles don't. Gentiles are on the outs. They're on the outside. But in Christ, we're brought together. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. He's speaking of Gentiles. And down in verse 12, in, in Ephesians 2, 12, he says, Remember, you Gentiles, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's that's the natural state of a Gentile. You're not a Jew. You're not in that covenant relationship with God. You're on the outs. You're a long way from God. But now in Christ Jesus, who you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing his, in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments and so forth, so that he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having put to death by the enmity. One body, reconcile them both. I mean, that's inconceivable. And in that context, for these folks, Jew and Gentile, reconciled, in one body, that's the miracle of the body of Christ. One flock, one shepherd. Now, again, in our context, I mean, most of us, we don't go around thinking Jew, Gentile. I mean, it's, those aren't our categories. We don't think in those terms. But we got categories. There are a thousand things that put us in different categories that divide human beings. We have race. We have nationality. You could have ideologies or Money, I mean, just all these things that put us in all these different categories. But folks, in the body of Christ, there's one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. And that's how we'll spend eternity. Not in our tribes, not in our categories. One flock, one shepherd. He unites his sheep. And then he lays down his life for his sheep. He is the good shepherd. This is what he does. He lays down his life for his sheep. It, it, five times in eight verses. That's, that's emphatic. Five times in eight verses. In, in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not like the hired hand who gets up and runs. He lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, uh, I lay down my life for the sheep. And verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. He lays down his life for the sheep. Two big ideas here. One is, is the Lord anticipates his atoning sacrifice for us. He is, he is the atoning sacrifice for you and for me. And Jesus knows that. He knows that's why he came. He knows what's coming. He anticipates that. He will lay down his life for the sheep. In the Old Testament, every now and then a sheep might die for the shepherd. A sheep might be sacrificed as a sacrifice to God for the shepherd. But here, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd dies for you and for me. So it speaks of his atoning sacrifice. And that's the language here. He dies on behalf of, he dies for the sheep. 
in their place as an atoning sacrifice. Here's another big idea in this passage. Jesus is in control. He anticipates, he knows he will be the atoning sacrifice for his sheep. And notice that Jesus is in control. I lay down my life. Five times. I lay it down. I lay it down. I lay it down. And then twice, oh, I take it up again. I lay it down. I'm going to take it up. I've got the authority. I can lay it down. And I got the authority. I can take it up. So it anticipates his resurrection in two. But Jesus is in control. Don't ever get the idea that, that, the, that the cross was some tragic miscalculation, that Jesus was a hapless victim or, or a martyr, or Jesus just misread the room, you know, and, and got it wrong, or no, Jesus was in control every step of the way, and he laid down his life, and he took it up again. And he said, this commandment I received from my Father, this is the plan of redemption. It, it, it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. This is God's plan of redemption. He's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. This is the plan all along. And Jesus is in control. He lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. Now, let's flip it around a little bit. Let's look at the sheep for a little bit. We've talked about the shepherd and his sheep. Now let's look at the sheep and their shepherd. Notice several things about the Lord's sheep. One, his sheep hear him. His sheep hear him. In verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep hear his voice. They recognize his voice. They know his tune, and they respond accordingly. You know, if, if you're a parent, you can kind of get this. You know your child's voice. You, you, could be in a, you could be in a setting where there's a bunch of kids. I mean, there's all kinds of kids, and they're screaming and laughing and playing and doing what kids do. There's all kinds of racket, but then you let your kids scream, and you hear it. You know your kid out of all those kids, right? You, you, you're tuned in. You know your child's voice. Or let's say you're at a party somewhere. You're at a party and people are laughing and talking. And I mean, it's just, just the noise of a party, a good time. And, and, and you hear your spouse's laughter. You hear your spouse laughing. You, you, you tune in. You can hear it just that quick. You know who that is. That's your spouse having a good time. You, you hear it. His sheep hear his voice. His sheep are tuned in. We hear it. We recognize it. We're sensitive to it. We're tuned in. We hear his voice. Notice also, his sheep know him. His sheep know him. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Now listen, this is where it gets profound. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me the way I know the Father and the Father knows me. Folks, that's mysterious. That's profound. It's one thing to say he knows the sheep and, and we know him. But to, to make that analogous to we know him and he knows us the way he knows the Father and the Father knows the Son. Holy cow, what does that even mean? That's mysterious. That's profound. That's amazing. Here's what we've seen in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. In John chapter 5, Jesus said the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he is doing. He goes on to say in John 5, As the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. 
In John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus is talking to the Father. He's praying to the Father, and he, and he says this, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. God, the Father, it glorifies the Son. He goes on to say that you loved me before the foundation of the earth. I have known you. He speaks of the love with which you loved me that, that may be in them and I in them as well. This intimate relationship between the Father and the Son, it's mysterious, it's profound, we, we can't understand it. It's, it's a divine mystery, and yet that's the paradigm for how you can know the Lord and how the Lord will know you. Isn't that amazing? There's a, there's a cliche, it is so worn out, I mean, it's, it's almost trite, but it is absolutely true. That Christianity is not a religion it's a relationship. Haven't you heard that? I mean, T-shirt, bumper sticker. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's, it's worn out. It's a cliche at this point, but it's the God's honest truth. Now, there is a religion called Christianity, and it's all about going to church and believing things and doing religious things and living a religious life. So there, there is a religion called Christianity, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. What it really means to be a Christian is you know him and he knows you. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. What's sad is that there are so many false conceptions out there of what it means to be a Christian. Well, my parents drug me to church when I was a kid, so yeah, I'm a Christian. I joined a church, so I'm a Christian. I got baptized, so yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm not a Muslim, so I guess I'm a Christian. I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. I live in the South, I guess I'm a Christian, whatever. So many ideas about what it means to be a Christian. But you see, you, you can join a church and not know the Lord. You can get baptized. You can get baptized so many times your skin shrivels up <laughs> and not know the Lord. You get ordained and not know the Lord. You can believe all the right things and not know the Lord. What makes you a Christian is that you know the Lord and the Lord knows you. That's eternal life. In fact, that's how Jesus defines eternal life in John 17. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, joining a church has its place, serves a purpose, it's important, it's what a Christian ought to do, baptism, all those things are important and they have value but that's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that shapes and defines your entire life. That you know him and that he knows you. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The question is, do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Well, let's see. His sheep not only hear his voice, they know him and they follow him. His sheep follow him. In verse 4, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. In verse 27, we'll hear this next week. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We've said it before. Christ followers actually follow Christ. <laughs> I mean, how's that for obvious? Christ followers follow Christ. In other words, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? If you're not following him, that's a red flag. Alarm bell should be going off for you. If you're not following him, something's wrong. It's probably because you don't know him. 
because his sheep know him and they follow him. This is, this is the sheep and their shepherd. Now, let's look at the mixed reaction. One of the refrains that we see in the Gospel of John every now and then, here we go again, is the mixed reaction, how people respond to Jesus. Mixed responses. In verse 19, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? So here's one of the reactions. It's rejection. One reaction of in the crowd is rejection. Why do you listen to this guy? He's crazy. He's got a demon. He's insane. They just reject. They reject Jesus. They reject what he's saying. Flat out rejection. Why do you listen to him? That's kind of interesting too. That's, that's ironic because we've just heard one of the defining characteristics of his sheep is that his sheep listen to him. They hear his voice. They respond. They obey. They follow him. His sheep listen to him. Why are you listening to that guy? So there's a rejection. And then there's also confusion. Verse 21. Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Remember in chapter 9, he healed the man born blind, the unblind man. A demon-possessed man can't do this. A crazy man can't do these things. I'm not so sure. And so there's confusion. Now, these folks, they're not believers as yet. They're, they're not sheep. They're not following the Lord Jesus, but they don't reject him either. They're just confused. What do you do with this guy? They don't know what to make of Jesus. No, he, he, he's not demon-possessed. No, he's not crazy. So who is he? What is he? What do you do with him? So there's a confusion. And you know, there's a lot of folks you know who are in that boat today. You know people who are right there. They don't know what to make of Jesus. They've heard so many things, and they have so many misconceptions about Jesus that they don't really even know. They, they don't know much about Jesus, and they, what they think they know is wrong. <laughs> and they're confused. They don't reject him but they don't know enough to believe in him either. They're just confused. They don't know, what do you do with Jesus? Who is Jesus? What do you, do? What do you make of that? But then there's a third reaction, and that is faith. Belief or faith. And this whole passage is about his sheep, the shepherd and his sheep. His sheep believe in him. In fact, we'll hear that down in verse 26. You do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My, my sheep believe. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. You're not my sheep because you don't believe. But my sheep believe. You, you believe. You faith. His sheep believe in him, faith in him, and follow him. So the question for you this morning is, where are you in the crowd? What, what, what's your reaction? I doubt that you flat out reject him. No thanks, no Jesus. You know, I don't need all that. If that was you, you probably wouldn't be here this morning. Maybe you're in that confused crowd. I'm not sure what to make of Jesus. I, I don't know. I've been told a lot of things, and maybe I'm wrong. Or do you believe? Do you believe? Do you know Jesus in a personal relationship that shapes and defines your entire life? He loves you. He laid down his life for you. He wants you in his family. He wants you in his flock. He wants you to be, belong to him. He loves you, and he wants to save you from your sins. Say yes to Jesus Christ. He's the door. He's the only door. Paul will put it this way. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one way. There's only one way. Jesus will say it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name, no other person, no other Savior. It's Jesus and Jesus only. He is the door. Have you come through the door? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? 
Do you have that personal relationship with him? If not, or if you're not sure, I invite you to come this morning. Let's nail it down. and Leave here today knowing, knowing the shepherd and knowing that the shepherd knows you. He came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Say yes to Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, our savior, the good shepherd. God, we thank you for all these things about Jesus Christ that we, that we know, that we attest. We can, we can give testimony to this is my life. This is, this is my Lord, my shepherd. Lord, I pray for the one who's never been saved and help them to see and to hear and know they need Jesus Christ, that they are far away from God, without hope, without God in the world. They need to be brought close. They need Jesus. Lord, bring them to the cross even today. Take charge of this time of decision, and I pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.